السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما رسائد درو الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد We've just finished listening to the beautiful recitation of Surah Al-Kahf. And our most merciful Prophet ﷺ has advised us, encouraged us, emphasized the recitation of this particular Surah every Friday. The best day of the week and we are specifically told to read this Surah every single Friday. Now it's it's amazing because I mean why has that question ever come to you like why this surah and on the most amazing day Friday I mean it could, it could have been Monday or Wednesday but Friday we know is the most amazing day and it's the best day and we've been told to read and one hadith mentions whoever recites this surah every Friday Allah will grant you a nur and a light until the following Friday another hadith mentions whoever learns the first 10 verses of Surah Al-Kahf Allah will protect you from the Dajjal. And a third hadith mentions, whoever learns the last 10 verses of Surah Al-Kahf, Allah will protect you from the Dajjal. Other narrations are also there. But just to summarize, we've been told the importance and the emphasis on this particular Surah to be recited every Friday. And uh, it, yes, it's linked in a way. I mean, there was a time many years ago, a lot of us might have not experienced some of you the elders will have seen there was a time where on a Friday in the masjid everybody would come together and would recite Suratul Kahf uh, and like this there were many good practices people were doing many good a'mal in the past and then under the disguise of people saying oh this is a bid'ah this shouldn't be done and you know what we've lost a lot of good deeds like that Nobody, it wasn't a bid'ah because nobody was like, if somebody didn't want to pray, nobody was saying, oh, you have to pray or you don't have to pray. It was just creating this environment of people coming together. And when you see somebody else doing good, you feel like doing it as well. Uh, however, a lot of these good things we see disappearing. Now, mashallah, those who've recited Surah Al-Kahf, mashallah, and a lot of us, unfortunately, have not recited it. Uh, but I'm hoping, inshallah, by the end of today, before we leave, at least we'll understand why or one of the reasons why we can never get to the depth of why and we can make an intention to internalize this practice uh, and those who are already doing it, at least you'll have some more insight into why and you'll do it with much more conviction, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the true understanding and a strong connection with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, what's the wisdom? What is the benefit? And how is it relevant today in my life in 2020? How is it relevant? How does it apply to me? Quran was revealed many years ago. How will that impact me and the messages that are in this surah? Is it relevant for today or was it just for then when it was revealed? So, very briefly, we can't go into the details because time doesn't allow. Very briefly, some of you will already know 
Suratul Kahf comprises of four stories. Very simply, in Suratul Kahf, there's four stories. Story number one is the people of the cave. Yes, Ashabul Kahf, the young people of the cave, in a simple way. Story number two uh, is the man who had two gardens, two beautiful, amazing gardens. Right? That's story number two. Story number three of Musa salam and Khidr. And the journey when he went to seek knowledge and the stories that took place. And story number four is Zulkarnain. Okay? A lot of us already know this. So these are the four main stories in Suratul Kahf. Ashabul Kahf, people of the cave, the man with the two gardens, Musa and Khidr and Zulkarnain. Now the idea is in each one of these four stories, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings our attention to a fitna, a different fitna. Fitna means a trial, a challenge, a test. And then at the end of the story, Allah gives us, this is Allah's solution to that fitna. So four great challenges and trials which you and I face in our lives every single day are presented in this surah. And a divine, godly solution has been provided in this surah for you and me, which we can utilize and benefit from every single day. Is that useful or not? Especially when we're going through such turbulent times. Things are all over the place. We're all lost. We're living in deception. We don't know what's going on. So if ever we've needed this surah, it's today, it's now, it's extremely relevant. And so is the rest of the Quran and so is the rest of Islam. Extremely relevant. We don't need a reformed version. We don't need the modern version. We need original Islam. As it was, that is extremely applicable and extremely relevant. So let us understand. Let's go into story number one. The story number one is the people of the cave. Now we're not going to go into the whole story. We're just going to look at what happened and what's the solution and how we can internalize it. So what happens in story number one, the people of the cave? As you know, in the Humfitiya, a group of youngsters, they had strong Iman. They wanted to be good and pious and practice the deen of Islam. They wanted to be good Muslims. They lived in a time where Kufr was prevailing and they faced a lot of Islamophobia. There was a lot of hostility. Wherever they went, they were opposed to the extent that if they did not protect themselves, they would have been killed. They weren't allowed to carry out the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala openly. So what did they do? They realized their deen was at a risk. Their deen was at a risk. At the moment, we all know our health is at a risk. How many measures are we taking? We can see. Okay. We all know our wealth is at a risk. How many measures are we taking? Okay, now everyone's looking for free cancellation, insurance policies, people who didn't bother about warranties and guarantees before. Now, because you know it, your wealth means something to you. Your health means something to you. But they realized it wasn't their health, it wasn't their wealth, their deen was at a risk. Is my deen at a risk? Not just in the UK or in the Western world, Globally, wherever you are, we're living a very challenging time. Is my deen at a risk? Is my deen precious to me? Yes, no. It's easy to say, but is it really what we're we doing about it? They did something about it. They did something about it. What did they do? Very simple. Quran tells us 
to protect their deen, they run into a cave. They moved. They moved from where they were living and they migrated. They went from one place to the other. Like the Sahaba and the Prophet ﷺ migrated for the sake of deen. And we know many people, even here in Birmingham, we know we come across many people who've moved maybe from uh, a European country or at least from London. And you meet them and say, oh, why did you move from London to here? Oh, we've moved for our kids. We think that there's better Islamic education or maybe up north or when you go to a place like Leicester or for example up north somewhere to Dewsbury or those kind of areas where there's more densely populated Muslims and more Islamic schools and you meet people and say oh we're moving for the sake of our kids because we feel that maybe there they might pick up some bad habits and bad company so we want to make sure they're in a good environment. So people are doing this today as well. I'm not saying we should push ourselves to those extremes straight away because it might not be practical for all of us to do. However, what we need to understand is every single day, you and I, this fitna which has been highlighted in Surah Al-Kahf, in the first story, you and I face this every single day when your and my deen is at risk. Whether it be at work, whether it be at home, whether it be our young children on the streets, or whether when we are shopping, sometimes our salah is at risk. The job that we're in, it's not allowing us to perform our salah. Sometimes there's a wedding in the family and your deen is at risk there. Sometimes your deen is at risk, my sister, because you are facing abuse every single day for wearing the hijab. Your deen is at risk. Now you're thinking, do I face that abuse every day or do I just remove the hijab? What do you do? So we're being abused by people making cartoons of the Prophet on the news we can see how the biased media is always speaking against Islam and the Muslims. We are facing Islamophobia. So every single day you and I are facing this, our deen is at risk. My question is, is our deen precious? We can lose our health, but still have our deen and we'll be fine. We can lose our wealth. But have our deen and be fine. However, if we have all the wealth in the world and our health is good, but we lose our deen, aren't we the greatest losers? However, we've not realized this. So what we need to realize, the greatest commodity I have is my deen. My deen is the most precious thing to me. What am I doing in this 2020, in the time of fitna and challenges to protect my deen, to safeguard my deen? Because my deen and the deen of my children, is, you know, children have gone back to school. As you know, the LGBT agenda is, has been rolled out and things are going ahead. What are you doing? I'm not saying pull your children out of school and be radical. I'm not saying that. But what are we doing? Are we doing anything about the risk to our deen? Or we're thinking it's okay if I miss my asr. It's okay. I'm at work. It's okay. It's okay if I can't fast for these certain days because, you know, the situation. Or are we doing something about it? So Surah Al-Kahf starts off with this story and highlights the first fitna and shows us how these young children, they went and to safeguard their deen, they went into the cave. You know, Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Suhaib al-Rumi, he accepted Islam. When he came to Makkah al-Mukarramah, he was very, very poor. He went through persecution. Nevertheless, time passed, Sahaba migrated. Suhaib was in Makkah al-Mukarramah. He was left behind. He was really upset. He could feel it. Sahaba are with the company of the Prophet They're seeing him every day. They're praying behind him. They're listening to his lectures. And I'm here in Makkah missing out. Very hostile Islamophobia. I can't really practice my deen. What can I do? So he decided, you know what? I'm going as well. I'm going to migrate. 
He knew that when he does decide this, he's going to face challenges. But there was a risk to his deen. And he was willing to make the change to protect his identity, to protect his deen. So he leaves. And you know what? The people stood in his way. Where are you going? You can't leave. Why did they not let him leave? Because they said to him, when you came to Makkah, you had nothing. You were a pauper. You were a beggar. You had not a single penny, not a single dime. And in the time that you've remained here, you've become extremely rich and wealthy. Where's all that wealth? If you're going, give us your wealth. So Heber Rumi said, is that all you want? You know, they say some people are so poor, all they have is money. Some people are so poor, all they have is money. These people of Makkah said to him, that tell us, give us all your wealth, we'll let you go. He said, is that all you want? He said, fine, go to my house, dig in this place, go to this place, go to this place. You'll find treasure, you'll find gold, you'll find wealth, you'll find properties. You can have all of it. Really? Yes, let, have all of it. Just let me go to Medina and be with the Prophet ﷺ. Transaction done. He gave his wealth away. Nobody knows about it. When he arrives in Medina Munawwara and he enters Medina and the Prophet Muhammad saw Suhaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he stood up and he says, Rabi Halbayh Aba Yahya, Rabi Halbay, oh Abu Yahya, oh Suhaib. What a beautiful transaction you've done. Your transaction has been very profitable. And Suhaib said, Oh Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I didn't send you a text message. There was no email at that time. There was no telegram even then. There was nothing. How, how do you know? Nobody knows about this. And if you know, that means Jibreel came. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent verses of the Quran. Jibreel descends from the seven heavens and informs the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that there are certain people in your ummah amongst you who are willing to give up anything. Why? To preserve their deen. To preserve their deen. What am I doing? Every single day our deen is at risk. What changes are we making? Now one is a great change where you move. Your situation around you doesn't allow you to practice your deen, you move. But I, 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 can, I can hear you. You're telling me, where do we go? Don't tell us to go back home because a lot of you will say that if we go back home, the situation is much worse. There's much more corruption there than here. A lot of us will agree on this. Where isn't there corruption today? There's corruption everywhere. Where are we going to go where we can be safe and practice our deen? A lot of the Muslim countries, you can see, <laughs> they're much worse off in, in a way, in certain areas, in certain aspects. Where do we go? So Suratul Kahf at the end of this particular story gives you and me a solution to this first fitna. What does it say? Suratul Kahf tells us, Wasbir nafsaka ma'alladheena yad'oona rabbahum bilghadati wal'ashiyyi yuriduna wajha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what you need to do is you cannot face this alone. You need to be with a community. You need to be with some people. You need to surround yourself with good, God-fearing, pious people. If you try to do this alone, you're going to lose your deen. Surround yourself and your children with those who are practicing. Those who are good. Because the Prophet sallallahu said, a time is going to come on my ummah. A person practicing real Islam, not reformed Islam, not modernized Islam, real Islam will be like a person holding burning coal. If, if, if there's a coal on fire, can you hold it? Well, this is what, the, this is what it's supposed to be like. You know, it's not supposed to be easy. The Prophet told us this is how it's going to be. 
Now, there's two options. Either you get the burning coal, and as soon as it hits you, honey, it's too hot, you just throw it away. The Prophet is telling us, what are you going to do? When your deen is at risk, and that coal and your deen, that coal is Islam, and it's going to be feel like it's burning because around you, you're, you're facing these risks and challenges. Are you going to throw it away? Are you going to go for a more reformed version and change and try and blend in? Or are you going to hold on to it? Like the Prophet وسلم, said, A person who's going to persevere on their religion. So the solution given to us here is surround yourself with pious people, with good people. You might say, well, no one's pious nowadays. Well, surround yourself with those who are trying, who are better than you. Those who are struggling with your prayers, hang around with people that pray. You're struggling with your Quran, stay with people of Quran. You're struggling with the haram habit of yours, hang around with people who've got good habits. Just surround yourself with good company. This is a, not my solution. This is a solution of Allah. And do you know what? Many a times you and I or maybe our children will say, well, these religious people, they're really boring. All they do is go to the mosque. All they do is pray. There's no fun. There's no excitement. Well, do you know what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew this. He knew that it's not going to be the easiest thing, especially at challenging times. This is why the verse starts off with, Wasbir nafsaka. Do sabr. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be really enjoyable. You might not get a buzz out of it straight away. But just stick to it. Hang around with good people and ensure children have gone back to school. Look out who are they hanging around with? What is their company? And just ensure that they're in good company, in a good environment. They're attending a good uh, facility for education and they have good around them. Inshallah, this will help protect your deen at challenging times. That was story number one. Let's move on. The second story in Surah Al-Kahf is about the man who had two beautiful gardens, extremely prosperous, extremely fruitful, and they were extremely extravagant. Allah had blessed him with so much. But the problem was that this man who had been blessed with these two beautiful gardens, the problem he had was he would he believed Lan tabida hadihi abada. You know, this wealth of mine, it's never going to end. Many of us don't say this, but we act like this regarding our job our wealth, our money, our dunya, our material, the way we behave shows as if this is not, he used to actually say this, this is never going to end. Number one. Number two, he used to say, I don't believe there's going to be a resurrection and Allah's going to account me for all of this. No, I'm my own accountant. Who is Allah to account me? There's no, there's no, there's no, wala azunnu sa'ata qa'ima. And the third thing he used to say was, all of this I've gained is because of my efforts, my knowledge my experience, my expertise, no one help has, has helped me. So his friend would remind him, brother, this is from Allah. You should say, MashaAllah. They should say, this is from Allah. Attribute things to Allah. Don't say it's from you. Don't be proud. Don't let your wealth make you arrogant. So this is a second fitna mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf. The fitna of wealth and luxury, which you and I are facing again every single day having wealth, having luxury at our disposal. The Prophet ﷺ told us, Wallahi mal akhsha alaykum. O people, Wallahi, it's not poverty I fear upon you. What I fear for you is luxury. When that time comes when everybody will have access to luxury, what you'll do, you'll start competing with one another. And that's what's happening. And social media has taken it to another level. 
even those of us who don't have anything, just because we're seeing somebody else's profile, they've just updated their status. You want to try and be better than them. And it's so fake. It's not even real. But then we want to give that image. And the Prophet ﷺ said that competing in the world and materialism destroyed the people before you and it's going to destroy you as well. Rather, you should be competing in good deeds. And what happened to the garden? Eventually, that garden was totally destroyed because he wasn't grateful to Allah. He thought that this is all mine. What's the solution? Surah Al-Kahf gives us a solution. At the end of that surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Malu wal-Banuna, Zinatul Hayatid Dunya. The wealth of this world, materialism of this world, this is the adornment of the world. If you want to know what's really everlasting and it's going to help you, is Al-Baqiyatul Salihat. Engage in as many good deeds as possible. Wealth, luxury, don't compete with other people. Attain it, that's fine. Have the dunya, it's fine. But don't try and compete with one another. If you want to compete with other people, that person prays this much salah, I'm going to try and beat him. He reads that much Quran, I'm going to try and read much more. Someone give that much in sadaqah, I'm going to, not to take a selfie. Okay, that's where we get it wrong as well. Okay, we want to take a selfie. Uh, and that we're engaging in some kind of charity. No, you do it in the proper way so it remains a good deed and it doesn't become a bad deed. So that was story number two. So that was the solution. Number three. The third story is of Musa and Khidr. Musa and Khidr. What happens in the story of Musa and Khidr? Musa Islam was asked the question, who's the most knowledgeable person? He said, it's me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decided to put him under a challenge and a test to go and meet. And he showed him the location of Khidr, who was given us different type of knowledge to that of Musa salam. So the third fitna that you and I face every single day in our lives is the fitna of knowledge. In this time of deceit, where we can't differentiate between truth and falsehood, this is very, very imperative. And we are being tested by this every single day. The Prophet said, so a time is going to come when people will be living in years of deceit. The truthful person will be looked at as a liar. The liar will be considered the most truthful person. Honesty will be considered dishonesty. And dishonesty will be honesty. You know, the traitor, the biggest traitor will be considered as the most honest person. And vice versa, an honest person will be considered a traitor. When we are living in such times, we need true knowledge that comes through only through perseverance. Nowadays, we want everything quick. You want a fatwa, you want it really quick. People come to the imam with a question, but they've already checked like 10 websites out, contacted so many other scholars already, and they've got all the answers there. All they want is they want you, the, the scholar to give the answer that they want. It doesn't work like that. And this is the test that we are living in now. Every single day we are being challenged and this fitna is in front of us, the fitna of knowledge. How do you differentiate between right and wrong? And, making, and do you know what? What we learn from the story of Musa and Khidr is one is an appearance, the other is reality. You know, when Khidr was trying to fix that boat, apparently it looked he was doing something wrong when he broke the boat. Was that the reality? When he killed that boy, it looked something but it was something else. We're living in a time. Suratul Kahf is very relevant today. Thus, every Friday we are being told to recite it so that we can be saved from these fitnas and these challenges. And you and I know how to steer and navigate ourselves in such challenging times. What's the solution? Quran gives us a solution. Musa salam, what did he say? That I'm going to persevere. You need to, if you want knowledge, if you want true knowledge, not just go on Google and get a quick fatwa. Oh, we want it really quick nowadays. Sometimes, you know, somebody asks you a question. So they send you a WhatsApp message and they ask you a mas'ala. 
Like if you don't answer by like within half an hour, like they send you a question mark. And then uh, uh, two hours later, like two question marks. And three hours, and, like more question marks. And then like, where's my answer? It doesn't work like that. Everybody has a life and there's a way and you want to seek knowledge, you need to persevere. Until you don't give your everything to knowledge, you're not going to get anything back out of it. And finally, the fourth story is of Dhul Qarnayn. What happens? Who was Dhul Qarnayn? Dhul Qarnayn was this amazing king. Quran says we gave him every type of means and he utilized this means. You know what for? Not for himself to build a kingdom. He went around the world to spread justice fairness kindness loyalty servitude and he provided for people he was caring for people he looked after people and he was in a place of position this is the fourth challenge of authority use and abuse and this applies to all of us if you're a father this applies to you because you're a leader if you're an imam, it applies to you. If you are a head of an organization or a masjid, a madrasa, or it be a, a secular organization. If you're a boss at work, for example, you're a manager. If you are a teacher, it doesn't matter. Most of us, it applies to all of us in some way, shape or form. You have been given a responsibility. Authority is not to get to your head and become arrogant and then you oppress. Rather, it's a responsibility and Allah is going to test you. Dhul Qarnayn was given this and what did he do? He didn't attribute it to himself. He didn't oppress anybody. When at the end, when people praised him saying, what an amazing uh, service you have carried out. What did he say? The solution, the divine solution to this fitna is humbleness and humility. And this is how we overcome this challenge. Finally, I want to mention on the last verse of Surah Al-Kahf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the solution to all of the fitnas altogether. We're living in a time of fitna. You want to be protected from fitna? The most amazing way how you and I can be saved from the fitnas and the challenging challenges of today is to live a life of sincerity with Allah. To be as sincere as possible, ikhlas, sincerity with Allah will save you from any fitna. Our most respected and honorable late, Hadrat Maulana Yusuf Mutala, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate his status. May Allah fill his grave with nur. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him Jannatul Firdaus, our Shaykh, our teacher. He always used to encourage the recitation of Suratul Kahf in the final years before he passed away. And something amazing he used to say, which I'm going to share with you, hoping that this will encourage you to continue the recitation every Friday, inshallah. Say inshallah. So some of you have re who's recited Surah Al-Kahf already today? So mashallah, fair number of hands. The rest of us, inshallah, by Maghrib time, let us try and recite Surah Al-Kahf. It's in the 15th juz. And from next week, let's try and recite it. And while you're reciting it, think of these stories and challenges and think how you can, you know, Surah Al-Kahf means cave. Kahf means cave. Do you know how the cave protects you from a storm? It protects you from the rain and the wind. This surah, the recitation of this surah will be like a cave for you from the fitna and the challenges of today. He used to say, if Surah Al-Kahf can protect you and I from the greatest fitna of Dajjal, won't it protect us from the small fitnas of today? 
The greatest fitna is going to be of the jal. We've been promised. You reach Surah Al-Kahf, Allah will protect you from the jal. If He can protect you from the greatest fitna of the jal, would it not protect us from the small fitna of today? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alam.